Good evening, y'all. Thank y'all for braving the weather. There's sometimes this torrential downpouring, and then now the sun's out, believe it or not. <laughs> so thank y'all for, uh, for making the long stretch through all three weeks um, and for braving the rain. Glad to have y'all here. Um, so let's, uh, we'll just get started. Um, we'll entrust the time we have here to our Blessed Lady. We'll ask her to pray for us, to open our hearts and our minds, so that we may receive a little more deeply the great mystery of the Mass. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So before we dive into uh, to new things, I had a professor at seminary who always began each class with a recap of the previous class. And I found that I didn't really get it until that recap. So what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let y'all lead the recap. What's one thing that, that stuck out to you from last week? From, remember we, we started with the beginning of the Mass, we went all the way up until the offertory. Well, we're inside the offertory. So, any, any kind of tidbit, yeah? When uh, the priest stretches his arms out on the altar, mm-hmm. Correct. So this is it's a symbol of imitating Christ on the cross, and it's, it means that, like Christ was praying for all of us in that moment, he, whatever he's praying, whenever his hands are like that, he's praying with us and for us. We're participating in that, um, in that prayer. So like the opening prayer, the collect, he's praying that with all of us. We're participating in that. So yeah, perfect. Anything else? Yeah? Like heaven on earth. That's a beautiful way to put it. So when we start Mass, we are on earth, but we're not just on earth. We're in heaven with all the angels and saints participating in that great worship of God. It's like one of the easiest, most important things to forget and to keep in mind whenever Mass starts. Not from the last one, but from the first one. Mm -hmm. It says that when someone struggles with the idea of coming to Mass, we need to remember that we're inviting them to the highest form Mm -hmm. of Right. And so, and so the, like, I think I, the analogy I use is like, it's like throwing something into the deep end. We've got to make sure they know how to swim before we throw them into the deep end. So that's why the Mass is such this big, great thing. And there's so much meaning to it that we need to help people understand and explain, which is y'all's job now, because now y'all know some stuff. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Right. So in the offertory, she said, we're offering a lot more than financial gifts. The material offertory is important, but honestly, the, the least important of the two. So we have a spiritual offertory, your emotions, your pains, your sufferings, whatever's going on, you're offering that as well to be brought up to the altar, to be offered in the sacrifice to God. Um, so that's a perfect thing to transition into the new material, because if you remember, we left off the gifts were being brought forward. And so with those gifts being brought forward are the bread and the wine, usually the, the collection. Spiritually with that, everything that you're offering in this Mass is brought forward to the altar. 
And so we're going to pick up there um, and kind of continue walking through the Mass. So if you notice, um, the priest, the, the bread and wine are put on the altar. The priest does, he, he takes, well actually the deacon does it when there's a deacon. Um, but he takes the wine and puts a little bit of water into the wine. You ever notice that? So that's just a little nugget of information. When, you, when that happens, the prayer that you say when you do that is, By the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. So Christ is God. In the incarnation, he came down into, to become man. He became one of us and participated in that. And so our prayer there is, may we come to share in that divinity through what's going to happen. We're in heaven, right? So Christ came down, became one of us, and so in this, we're lifted up to participate in that divinity um, in that divine worship of God. So that's just a little nugget of meaning behind why the priest or the deacon pours water into the wine. And so what happens then is that the bread and the wine, he, he offers them up to God. Depending on sometimes he'll say, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. We thank God for the bread, the wine, the spiritual offerings that we all bring. We thank God for that. Because even that is a gift from God. And so we thank God for that. And we place it on the altar, which can seem like a very simple little gesture. But when you're offering a sacrifice, when you put what you're going to sacrifice on the altar, that's like a big moment. That it's on the altar to be sacrificed. And so that's just like the culmination of the offertory, where everything we've brought up, the bread and the wine, and everything spiritual with that is placed on the altar. And we're ready for the sacrifice. If there's incense at the Mass, the incense, we incense these offerings as well to show both that, if you remember from the first class, that those prayers are rising up to God like the smoke rises from the incense, and to show that God is present in that offering. The, the smoke of the incense, if you remember, symbolizes God's presence here. And so in a very special way in those offerings, because it's Jesus offering himself. So God is present there, and so the incense reminds us of that. Then the priest will wash his hands as a sign of, of the forgiveness that he needs. He's a sinner. And so he says, Lord, wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Because he recognizes the great thing that's about to happen, and so he's at a one, one like little last-ditch effort asking God for the mercy um, that we know that he needs. And then we stand, and he says, Pray, my brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Another reminder that he's not the only one offering the sacrifice. It's, it's his sacrifice, but it's all of ours as well. And he's asking all of us, he's asking us to pray. Pray that this is going to be a worthy sacrifice. Pray for him that he can offer this Mass well. Pray that, that God is going to accept this offering that we're offering to him. And we say, may the Lord accept this sacrifice at your hands for his praise and glory and for the good of the whole church. Because the Mass is infinite. So there's no limit to, to the effects that it has. This, every, every time we go to Mass, it affects the whole church. Every time Mass is offered, it impacts the whole church. And so we're praying to God that he can accept this sacrifice.
And then what the priest does, he closes out this offertory movement with a final, it's called the prayer over the offerings. And it's usually something along the lines of asking God again to accept this sacrifice. So, for example, this Sunday, you're going to hear the priest say, Receive with favor, O Lord. That's actually last Sunday. This Sunday you're going to hear, Grant us, O merciful God, that this, our offering, may find acceptance with you, and that through it, the wellspring of all blessing may be laid open before us. So that changes every Sunday, but the basic premise is that, Lord, accept, please accept this. And notice he's got his hands open. So we're all praying that prayer, Lord, please accept this offering. And then we say, through Christ our Lord, Amen. And that brings the, the offertory portion of the Mass to a conclusion. And then begin, what begins after that is the highest, the highest part of the Mass. The whole movement of the Eucharistic prayer. And if you notice, the first thing he says is, the Lord be with you. Which is, if you remember, our little signal. Hey, something's about to happen. We're starting something new. Jesus is here, and we're gonna, let's recall that, and prepare for what's about to happen. So the Lord be with you, and with your spirit. And he says, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord, and let us give thanks to the Lord our God. So remember, Eucharistic prayer, the Eucharist comes from the Greek word meaning thanksgiving. So we're, it's, a, it's essentially a movement of thanksgiving to God. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God by raising our hearts and our minds to him. Both the priest and the people, we're, we're thanking God for that we're able to do what's about to happen. So that little dialogue, that little back and forth that happens, symbolizes the fact that it's not just the priest. We're, di- we're all participating in this. Everything in the Mass is combating that temptation to think that it's only the priest doing something. It's not only the priest doing something. We're all participating in that. I feel like I don't want to belabor the point, but that's such an incredibly important point that a lot of times we forget and we can kind of tend to think that we're spectators to what the priest is doing, which couldn't, it's like the biggest lie of the Mass, is that we're just spectators. We're so much more than that. And the priest, if you notice, the last thing we say is that it is right and just. And that prayer that he prays after that is called the preface. And it's always connected to what we said, because it always begins, it is truly right and just. That we thank God. And so the preface is, is, at heart, it's a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the great things that he's done for us. And it's something that I've noticed more and more since being a deacon, I guess because I'm up here and I'm just listening to it more carefully. A lot of the prefaces have incredibly beautiful language. I move, the, the prefaces, the text of the preface is usually what moves me most in the Mass, um, I've been noticing. So, I've, like, one of, the, one of the prefaces, there's some options that you can do for the Eucharistic prayer um, on Sundays. But one of them that struck me was, was this. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For we know it belongs to your boundless glory that you came to the aid of mortal beings with your divinity. And even fashioned for us a remedy out of mortality itself. So the remedy for our mortality is a man, Jesus. And the cause of our downfall, which is death, 
might become the very means of our salvation because we're saved through death, through Christ our Lord. So the very thing that is the cause of our downfall, became, that's how God chose to save us. And like preface after preface just says awesome things like that. Um, and so we're thanking God for, for the incredible things that he's done for us. And no matter what the preface says, it always, it always ends with something like this. Through him the hosts of angels adores your majesty and rejoices in your presence forever. May our voices, we pray, join with theirs, join with the host of angels in one chorus of exultant praise as we acclaim. So that's like the most explicit text that reminds us we're not alone when we're singing holy, holy, holy. That's the song of all the angels and saints in heaven fill in the room, all singing with us. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts. We get that, that um, the words holy, holy, holy comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's the vision Isaiah had of heaven, of the throne of heaven. And all the angels, he says, it's in um, Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So all the angels are constantly resounding this holy, holy, holy. And we say it three times. So in English we have, it's called the superlative. So we say the holiest, right? In Hebrew, they don't have that. So when they want to say something is the most the most whatever, they would say it three times. So, holy, holy, holy. God is the most, the, the holiest of all things. So, all of heaven and earth is full, filled with his glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That text, Hosanna in the highest. We get that from Psalm 118. If you look, it says... Um, in the middle of that of page 10, save us, we beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech thee, give us success. Blessed is he who enters in the name of the Lord. The Hebrew for that save us is Hosanna. And that's an important psalm because as the Jews, so all the Jews would celebrate Passover. That was the heart of the, the whole Jewish religion. It was the definitive act of God for them, of God saving his people from slavery in Egypt. And so all Jews would make a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And as they would approach Jerusalem, they would chant Psalm 118. And they would say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's where we get that from. Whereas we're about to celebrate the fulfillment of Passover, we do the same thing. Does anyone else know somewhere else where we hear Hosanna in the Bible? It's a scripture test. Where else do we hear Hosanna? Palm Sunday. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, the people are putting palm branches on the ground, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's another, another verse from that psalm says, Bind the festal procession with branches, with palm branches, up to the horns of the altar. So they would lead the way of the priest up to the altar in the temple to sacrifice with palm branches. They did that very same thing with Jesus. Except he wasn't going to the altar in the temple. He was going to the altar of the cross to offer himself the true Passover lamb. 
So Jesus is fulfilling that with, with the palm branches. And so there's no better words that we can sing as we're approaching the altar of the cross than putting those words, holy, 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 Hosanna to the son of David. He's fulfilling the, the Passover and fulfilling our salvation at every Mass. So after that, we kneel, and what begins is the Eucharistic prayer. So the Eucharistic prayer is the high point of this whole, of the whole Mass. It's when everything that we've offered, all this, that has been placed on the altar, is offered up to God in sacrifice. This is like, this is why we come to Mass, to participate in the Eucharistic prayer. The Eucharist, so there's, there's varying, there's different Eucharistic prayers. They all have the same basic structure. And so, I'm going to kind of try to help you understand the structure a little bit to help us to notice what's happening and so that we can pray with the text better. So that we can pray with the Eucharistic prayer better because if we know what's happening, it's easier for us to enter into it. And if we understand that, it's easier for us to enter ourselves into what's happening on the altar. So the first basic movement of the Eucharistic prayer is called the epiclesis. This is when we ask the Holy Spirit to come down and to transform these gifts into bread and wine. Usually, Father will have his hands extended over the gifts. We'll say, you are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the prayer begins with, Asking the Holy Spirit to come upon these gifts. Because this is, it's an act of God, what's happening. Then, we move into the institution narrative and the consecration. So you remember when we talked about memory on the first class? So the Jews had a particular understanding of memory. So would they, they would reenact the Passover every year. But they weren't just remembering something that happened a long time ago. They were present at that event every time. So when we're hearing the words of Jesus, we're not remembering something that just happened 2,000 years ago. We're in that room at the Last Supper. The priest speaking in the person of Jesus, take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body. This is my blood of the new covenant. We're in that room with the Last Supper. And the priest, just like Jesus did, is offering himself in that. We are doing the same thing. We're offering ourselves in that. Everything the priest is saying, he's saying on our behalf. The whole Eucharistic prayer, his hands are extended. Except for when he's actually holding the Blessed Sacrament. So that shows us that we're all participating in this in a special way. We're offering ourselves in that sacrifice. And what happened then is present right here, right now. And it's by the very words and actions of Christ himself that happens. The priest is no like Father Mike is, is not Father Mike. He's Jesus, especially at that moment. He takes the words of Jesus as his own. And it's the words and actions of Jesus that affects what happens. The next movement is called, a Greek word, anamnesis, 
which means uh, a remembering. So it, it continues that memorial. We were at the Last Supper. We remember the passion, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. All, that's all, all part of that Paschal mystery through which our salvation was, was, was given to us. And so we, we, we recall everything God has done for us in that moment. And then we move into what's called the intercessions. So the, the Mass is infinite, right? So every Mass we pray for, for the world. We pray for the Pope. We pray for the bishops. We pray for all, all people. We pray for all the dead. We pray for all those who are gathered here at the Mass. There's no limit to what the Mass can extend to. All the offerings that you've offered on the altar are included in that. And, and some of the, the, and the older Eucharistic prayers, there are periods of silence where the priest would offer everything, would silently, would silently offer everything that would, that Mass was being offered for. That same meaning is, is still present here. Everything that we brought, we're, we're praying for it and we're asking the graces of the Mass to, to touch whatever it is. There's no limit. The sky's the limit and beyond. <clears throat> And the whole Eucharistic prayer concludes with a doxology to the Trinity. Through Him, with Him, and in Him, through Jesus. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, O God, Almighty Father, all glory and honor are Yours forever and ever. And everybody says, Amen. amen. And that Amen, they call it the Great Amen. Because that Amen symbolizes the fact that you've been participating in everything that's just happened. And by that amen, that's your assent to it, your affirmation, your yes, Lord. Everything that just happened, I truly believe happened. I offer everything that I am to that. And I believe that now, Jesus is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity on this altar. So that amen, that amen's a really big deal, in particular. So then, we all stand up, and we say the Our Father. It may seem kind of odd. Why are we saying? Why do we all stand up and say the Our Father? It seems like an odd prayer to say right now. So what we just said was that Jesus is here. So Jesus, the the eternal Son of God, when we pray Our Father, we're praying with. We're acknowledging Jesus is present, and now we're going to pray with you, with the very words that you taught us. To the Father. So Jesus is praying that prayer with us. Our Father who art in heaven. The church fathers, the catechism, they all say that in the prayer of the Our Father is contained, they, they say, call it the summary of the whole gospel. And that it's the most perfect of all prayers. Because contained in that prayer, it teaches us, it teaches us everything. It's got pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That has particular special meaning at this moment because that sacred bread, give us this day, this, this holy bread that's become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your Son. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. And always deliver us from the power of the evil one. So in that prayer is contained everything that you could ever pray for. 
And as Jesus is the Son, we pray with him to the Father. That's why that prayer is there. And it's, it's got a special meaning at that moment. Because we're praying it with the Son to the Father. And because the bread that we're asking for is, is here. And it's not really bread anymore, but it's this blessed sacrament. And so it can be easy to kind of, because we, we, it's, we say it so often... Because of how important it is. That's why we, like, our fault, the reason why everybody knows it is because we just have this sense through the history that this is the most important prayer. And so, like, if we're gonna, if we're gonna pray, this is how we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray with Jesus' words. And so, because we know it so well, it can be easy to just let it be a mechanical, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, really try as, as best you can, think about the words that you're saying. And maybe, maybe like one, maybe like one thing jumps out at you from the from the Our Father. Just like sit with that as you're praying, and don't feel like you have to. You're, it's impossible to comprehend everything that's happening. But whatever moves you, sit with that. That's something that God's put on your heart for, for a particular reason. And so maybe let let Him speak to you through that one thing. If we're trying to grab everything, we're going to miss the one thing that He's trying to to offer to us. So once we pray the Our Father, we move into what's called the, the, the rite of peace, the sign of peace. An, inter- an interesting shift happens here. I just think it's neat. From this point of the Mass, up until this, up until this point, we've been praying to the Father. The text of the, the Mass now shifts here to be directed to Jesus. Because he's here. So after the Our Father, the priests say, Lord Jesus Christ, you said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. So all the, the prayers from then on, are, we're talking to Jesus, because he's right there, which is really cool and a good reminder for us. And so this sign of peace has, has kind of like a double meaning. So first, if you recall, Jesus says that if you're coming to offer a gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, Go and be reconciled, and then come and offer your gift. So the sign of peace is, is a moment where we recognize we as a community are one in peace with each other. Not in a way that distracts us, but just we recognize the fact that we are, we are one community here. The second meaning, kind of, we get it from that prayer so you, the last thing Jesus said to his apostles before at the Last Supper, he said, My peace I, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And the words that he always says in his resurrection appearances, the first words he always says, Peace be with you. So this peace is, is, is more than just a, a human kind of peace that we can do ourselves. It's a peace in the Holy Spirit in the resurrection. It's a peace that we can't, it's, it, we, it's a gift that's given to us by Christ. So when we, when this, in this rite of peace, we're reminding us that, of the peace that Christ is giving us by his resurrection. So it's, it's, directed to G, it's a, a peace that's directed to Jesus, first of all. Reminding us of that unity in the Holy Spirit through the resurrection. After that, after the sign of peace, the priest is going to break 
the host. It's called the fraction rite. So it's got a symbol of the host is broken, Christ's body is broken in the, in the crucifixion. And then he takes a little bitty piece of that and puts it in the chalice, which is a symbol of the body and blood coming together in the resurrection. So it's a little crucifixion-resurrection symbolism there in that fraction of the host and putting it in the chalice. Another thing that the host, the fraction of the host symbolizes is the fact that it's, it's one body that was broken for all. So like if, we were, if we're going to see the symbolism most clearly, it would be like if everybody received communion off of that one host that's broken. Obviously, there's too many people that just be chaotic, so we don't do that. But that's the symbolism in breaking it, that there's one, there's one body, one loaf, that we all partake. We all partake of that one body of Christ. It's another sign of that unity in the peace of Christ. And we say, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. So again, we continually ask God for his mercy. Because we know that we need it more than anything. And calling Jesus the Lamb of God has a lot of meaning to it because of the richness of the Jewish Passover. The lamb was the heart of the Passover sacrifice. The sacrifice of the lamb was the Passover sacrifice. So by calling Jesus the lamb of God, we're, we're going back to those Jewish roots. That he's the fulfillment of the salvation that God offered to Israel, and he's offered throughout the, all the centuries and continues to offer to us. In the book of Revelation, Jesus, in, the, in John's vision of heaven, he sees a lamb that was standing, that, but it had but it looked at as, as if it had been slain. So that the Lamb of God is standing. If you see an image of the Lamb of God, it's usually got a wound, but it's standing up to show that the Lamb was sacrificed, but it's been victorious over death. It was raised up. So that's the symbolism of the death and resurrection of Christ. So Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. By your death, you take away the sins of the world. And the priest says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Almost just repeats what, we've, what we just said. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to this supper of the Lamb. And we say, Lord, we take the words of the centurion from the Gospels, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. But at your word, I know that I can be healed. So it's another recognition like, of the awe of what's happening. And that, Lord, we're not worthy that, we're, that we can receive you like this. But you allow us to do that. And so by that awesome grace... Um, we are healed. And so what begins as this, every, everything up until this point, we've been acting as one body. And so that, this all comes to its culmination in communion. Where each person receives this body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ present in that, in that little host. And so it's, that's, that's, your, that's the personal encounter with Jesus. One cool um, tradition that a lot of the saints talk about is what's called a spiritual communion. 
So we have sacramental communion, where you come and receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus sacramentally in the sacred host. The saints talk about a spiritual communion for maybe if for whatever reason you're not able to receive communion. Or if for whatever reason you're not able to make it to daily mass that day. Or if you're just, you're just longing for God and you can't, you can't just like pop in and you go to Mass. A spiritual communion is asking God, Lord, I want you to come spiritually into my heart and dwell here. That, it's, it's so simple, but has an incredible power. Jesus told St. Catherine of Siena, In this gold chalice... I put your sacramental communions. In this silver chalice, I put your spiritual communions. And both are quite pleasing to me. So I just offer that communion is not just receiving the host. That's the, that's the highest form of communion. But when that's not possible for you know whatever reason, can't get to mass um, on a daily on daily mass. If we're just longing to to be in union with Christ more throughout our day, if we, we feel like we get too distracted by the cares of life and we, wanna, we want maybe something that we can do to help us stay more connected with Jesus, a little, make that simple spiritual communion prayer, you know, periodically, whenever you feel especially stressed. Jesus, I believe that you, you are here. Come, spirit. Even though I can't go to mass at this very moment, as much as I want to receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my heart and dwell with me. Never let me be separated from you. That happens, of course, in sacramental communion, but it happens in a spiritual communion as well. So I want to just offer that as maybe as a practice set. It's a little, a concrete, simple little thing that. Padre Pio, Catherine of Siena, St. Jose Maria Escriva, they all talk about spiritual communion. St. Alphonsus Liguori, as a way of, of helping them to stay connected to Christ throughout their day. If you turn to the next page, on page 12, Saint, um, not Saint, J.R.R. Tolkien, just the man J.R.R. Tolkien, um, he wrote Lord of the Rings. I don't know if there's any in The Hobbit. I don't know if there's any Lord of the Rings or Hobbit fans. Um, he was actually a very devout Catholic. And he wrote a letter to his son that I've, I've, I stumbled upon actually like a couple of days ago and thought it was really interesting. So I couldn't put the whole thing, obviously, um, there. I put a, a big, a, the, an important part of it. So I'm going to start reading and then it'll, eventually I'll pick up to the part that's on, on your pages. So maybe just listen and then... Um, so he's writing to his son. He says, Out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the Blessed Sacrament. There you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, the true way of all your loves on earth. The only cure for sagging or fainting faith is the Blessed Sacrament. Also, I recommend this as an exercise. Alas, only too easy to find an opportunity for. 
Make your communion in circumstances that affront your taste. Choose a snuffling or gabbling priest or a proud and vulgar friar in a church full of the usual crowd, ill-behaved children, from those who yell to those products of Catholic schools who from the moment the tabernacle is open sit back and yawn. I can say that because I'm a product of Catholic schools. Open-necked and dirty youths. You can tell I wrote this a little while back because we don't really talk like that anymore. Go to communion with them. It will be just the same, or better than that, as a Mass said beautifully by a visibly holy man and shared by a few devout and decorous people. What's he getting at when he, when he says that? A lot of times we come to Mass and we say, oh, the music's terrible, the priest is just rambling on the homily, um, there's this, this kid yelling, two pews behind me, these people were chit-chatting up here, all, all those things, you know, the music helps. The music, the purpose of the music is to lead you to Christ. The purpose of the homily is to lead you to Christ. The purpose of everything that happens in the Mass is to lead you to Christ. The, the good community here leads you to Christ. But those are all things that, that facilitate what hap- our participation in the Mass. But why we come to Mass is this communion. It's participating in the Eucharistic prayer and the sacramental or spiritual communion. And so what Tolkien, I think, is getting at is that he's kind of calling, calling his son to remember why you're coming to Mass. We should work to make all, all, all of those things great, but don't, don't get them out of order. There's one, there's one foundation. All the other things flow after that. And so even if all these things are bad, Jesus is here. And that's, that's why we're, we have offered everything that we have that has been offered to the Father. We participated in the sacrifice of Calvary and we receive communion in that. That happens no matter what. That's the great thing about the sacraments is that they happen. The priest says the words and because God has ordained it that way, it happens. And so we can participate in that no matter what. So I, I saw that, a couple, someone posted it a couple days ago, and it struck me. And so I wanted to share that with y'all because I just thought it was cool. Um, it's a reminder of why, why we're here. And so the communion time happens. And the priest brings that whole, that whole prayer to a close with, with, a, with a prayer that his hands are extended again, so we're praying that prayer too. And again, it, it varies, but the basic meaning of the prayer is, Lord, may we, what we have just received bear fruit in our lives. So this Sunday we're going to hear, May this heavenly mystery, O Lord, that we've just received, restore us in mind and body, that we may be co-heirs in glory with Christ, to whose suffering and death we are united whenever we proclaim his death, who lives and reigns forever and ever. So may this heavenly mystery bear fruit. May it, here, may it restore us in mind and body. And what we've just done, now do what, what you say it's going to do. And that brings 
the, 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 the Eucharistic prayer movement of the Mass to a close. And then we begin the next very short, but very, 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 very important movement, which is the, the concluding rites. We say, the Lord be with you. That's your, your cue. We're doing something else. Remind, let's get, come back, come focus. The Lord is here. And we end the Mass with the very same sign of the cross that we began it. A blessing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that cross. And then he says, there's a couple of options, but go in peace. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Go glorifying the Lord by your life. And we say, thanks be to God. Not a, thanks be to God the Mass is over. (laughs) But that go, go and announce the gospel of the Lord. So remember what I began with. Our call is to, to, to take what we learn here out there. So Jesus sent his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He says that to each of us every Mass. I'm sending you. Go and proclaim by your life, by your words, what you've received here. St. John of the Cross has a beautiful quote that says, Where there is no love, put love, and you will draw out love. So we've all received the most profound, the most intimate, the most beautiful love that we could ever, ever hope to receive. And that's the love of Christ, especially given to us here in the Eucharist. And so our call is to go out into a world where perhaps that love is lacking. The only way that we can spread love is by intentionally putting love into the situations of our life. So where there is no love, if you put love there, love, that's how you will draw out love. It can't help, but the light can't help but spread. That's how, it's just how it works. So that's our call. If you see the quote right under that, it says, The sacred liturgy does not exhaust the entire activity of the church. The Mass is the most important thing we do, yes, but it's not all we do. It doesn't exhaust everything that the church does. Before men can come to the liturgy, they must be called to faith and to conversion. How then are they to call upon him in whom they have not yet believed? How can people call on someone they don't even know? But how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear if no one preaches? And how are men to preach unless they be sent? So we live in a, in a, in a culture that kind of, we call it the post-Christian culture. So everyone, like, everyone kind of knows, or at least thinks they know what Jesus is. Our call is to really help them to meet Jesus. Not just know about Jesus or know what they think about Jesus, but to meet Jesus. Because we've, we've met him, we've received him here. And so, we have to go out and to introduce him to everybody. That, go, and, go and announce the good news that you've just heard here. The good news that saved your life. See, you all have a special task. I can't, me and Father Mike can't be in your workplaces, 
in your all of your homes, in the gyms you go to, in your clubs, in your friend groups, all these little things that only only y'all are there. And so the, the the church speaks of the laity like the leaven in the world. So like yeast kind of spreads and fills the whole dough. The, the Christian is to be like leaven in the world. That kind of, it, it, you don't really notice it, but it, it gets into everything. And slowly, it transforms the whole dough to become leavened. And it rises. That's the image that, that we use to speak about the laity. Um, and so, like, I can, I can do that as best I can, but I can't imagine me doing that. And then imagine all of us doing that. It's a big old difference. So when we say go and announce the gospel, go and be that leaven in the world that Christ has called you to be. That The last little quote at the bottom. Since the laity, in accordance with their state in life, live in the midst of the world and its concerns, they are called by God to exercise their apostolate in the world like leaven with the ardor of the Spirit of Christ. The success of the lay apostolate depends upon the laity's living union with Christ. In keeping with the Lord's words, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. This life of intimate union with Christ in the church is nourished by spiritual age, which are common to all the faithful, especially active participation in the sacred liturgy. So what we get here gives us the the, the spiritual nourishment to go out. And so every every time you hear, go go forth and announce the gospel of the Lord, how am I going to do that today? You don't have to go stand on the streets and, and preach with a giant Jesus sign. That usually doesn't work. But being an, a, a, a person to listen to with someone who needs to talk in the office or a coworker, in those little conversations, that's where, that's where conversion happens. In those relationships that each of you have with people. So that's our mission. That's, what, that's when we say, go forth, the Mass is ended. That's, that's all of that that I've just been talking about. That's what's going to happen. And so the church envisions that we, ha- we, we hear, we're trained, we're, we're disciples, we're fed, we go out, and we spread that message, we come back, we're, re- we're replenished, we're re-nourished, we're deepened, and we go out again. It's this, this out and in. And every time we come in, we, we, we may, maybe we bring someone. It's all rooted here, however, in the sacred liturgy. And so the church is saying, like, this is, this is the heart. We can't live without this. So go and, tell, go and help everyone else see that. Go be the light in that world that so desperately needs it. And so that's what happens every Sunday. <laughs> um, if you turn to the back page... Page 13, I have, so these are some resources, these are the resources mostly that I used in, uh, in preparing this. So I just want to briefly kind of mention them. 
So the beginning are church documents. So if you, church documents are all available for free online. Um, they tend to be a little bit heavier. So if you're, if you're like, if you think that I've just touched the surface, which I have, and you want to go a whole lot deeper, start, try, try maybe reading one of these things. And I put them in order from, from easiest to hardest. So the catechism, the second part of the catechism, great place to start. Um, then we got the general instruction on the Roman Missal, and then other, uh, these two documents that came out of Vatican II. A couple books, um, Brant Petrie's Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Well, it, it goes through the Mass in sort of a different light than what I've done. He explores more of the, the Jewish background. So he'll go way deeper into the Passover, into all the meanings of that, and the manna, um, which I didn't really have, I didn't have time to touch on, so I was kind of taking a different focus. But if you want to learn more about that, Brant Petrie is a great, easy-to-read writer. Um, a friend recommended a devotional journey into the Mass. I haven't actually read this, but a friend of mine's friend wrote it. Um, and I think my understanding is that it kind of does what I've, I've tried to do here in a book. Um, so I recommend that, an easy-to-read um, kind of thing. The last two are a little bit more difficult, and they talk about the Mass before Vatican II, but a lot of, the, a lot of it still applies. Um, these two other books by Ronald Knox and Prosper Garanger. Um, the two other things, so the visions of the Holy Mass, I mentioned Catalina. Um, in a couple of the classes, so there's a whole, she has a whole write-up on her visions and kind of like her walking through the whole Mass. If you want that, I have a PDF of that that I can give you. If you just Google Catalina the Mass, it'll pop up as well. Um, if you like videos, um, there's a three-part series called The Mass, Supreme Encounter with God and Jesus um, by an, a Benedictine monk and abbot, Jeremy Driscoll, um, which is very good as well. He kind of does a similar thing as what I've done here um, in his, in his three-part videos. So, thank you all very much for sticking it out, the long stretch. Does anybody have any... any <laughs> Does anybody have any questions? Yes. So they so there's vesting prayers for every every thing every piece of clothing the priest puts on. There's a prayer that accompanies it. Um, it was obligatory. Those prayers still exist. It's still a great thing to do. It's not technically mandatory. Um, but so for example, um, there's a prayer. Um, the alb is a white. Is a prayer asking for uh, symbolizing the new garment of the resurrection and baptism. Um, the prayer kind of calls that to mind. The cincture, there's a prayer for purity. Um, the stole, there's a prayer for, I think it's of, of, of priestly authority, like the priestly authority of Christ, um, and at humbly asking Christ to be present. The chasuble that he puts on, it's called um, the yoke of charity. So when he puts the chasuble on, it's a prayer that he can, he'll bear, um, he carries like the weight of the people with love, and that he can love them through that. Um, so there are prayers. If you Google vesting prayers, they will, they'll come up. Um, they're not technically obligatory, but they still exist, and they're still a great thing to do. Yes? And if you've been on 
Mm -hmm. Yes, so the diocese has a lot of great resources on the Eucharist, on the Mass, the Why We Why We Worship series. We'll kind of take more of the Brant Petrie route um, through this. I forgot about that. The Why We Worship is another great, if you're more of a video kind of thing. Um, if you want to dive into to Dr. Petrie, um, that's a great resource as well. Any other questions? I have more of a comment. Okay. I hear it a lot when I watch a lot of videos, but when you're talking about how the Mass is being done for all the church, living and dead for the whole world, I don't know if everybody thinks about it, but at every given moment there's a Mass going on. Mm -hmm. And if you're you're part of the church, Mm -hmm. that's right, 100%. I can't add anything to that because that's just it. That's beautiful. Absolutely. And so now remember, one more little reminder, does it end here? Y'all have a job now. Don't let me down. <laughs> and it does, like, in, in, in casual, and usually these things happen just in casual conversation. It just comes up, and you say, oh, you know, he, I learned this thing. Maybe I can help, help you. Someone says, I don't get out of, a lot out of mass. Maybe I can help you with that a little bit. So as we conclude, if you look on the bottom of that for further reading, there's a spiritual communion prayer. I thought maybe we could end by praying that spiritual communion, asking Jesus to come into our hearts and give us the grace and the strength to be those witnesses that he's calling us to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All together, my Jesus, I believe that you are in the blessed sacrament. I love you above all things, and I long for you in my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. As though you have already come, I embrace you and unite myself entirely to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you all very much. Y'all have a good night.